Hello. What's up, homie? Hey, how's it going? I'm doing alright. How about you? Yeah, no complaints. Usual assortment of but you know, nothing uh, nothing insurmountable. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> What's new and different with you? Not too much, really. I went out and spent a shitload of money yesterday that I probably shouldn't have spent on comics, but I got some good stuff, so... Cool. <laughs> Beyond so, that, not a hell of a lot. The latest person to uh, ask in on the uh, the Facebook group, you know, I, I make them answer uh -huh. two questions in order to get in, because if they don't ask, answer questions, I'm figuring it's a bot and I don't want them to, to be in the group. You know, I just I decline anybody who doesn't answer the questions. Uh -huh. But the latest person, you know, the two questions are, who's your favorite comic book character and why do you want to be in the group? And uh, the latest person said, because I'm loving your coverage of the thing Hulk uh, oh, history. And now it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Stop it! Disenfranchised by the modern comics industry, producer Paul Spitaro, Dr. Bill Robinson, and Scott H. Gardner now ply the time stream in a never-ending quest to rediscover and reconnect with that unique brand of fun and excitement that can only truly be found in good old-fashioned, randomly selected comic book back issues. Journey with them now. Back. Back to the bins. I got nowhere else to go! I got nowhere else to go! I got nothing else. Hello everybody and welcome to Back to the Bins. I'm Paul Spitaro and I am joined once again this time out by my good buddy, Mr. Scott Gardner. What's happening, Scott? Hey, how's it going? It's <laughs> I'm doing good. Going good. Uh, we're back at it again. You know, the, the the thing and the Hulk are tussling away, and we're with them. So, <laughs> I'm, I'm I got to say I'm enjoying doing this. I'm I'm really glad that we picked it up again uh, after all these years. Absolutely. Well, you know, it's it's you know it's that old adage of you know no good idea you know ever dies, and I, I always thought this was a good idea. So I'm I'm glad we're finally. Yes, it's it's been a long time coming, but. Uh, you know, we're having fun doing it, and uh, you know, you were just telling me before we got recording that uh, you know we're getting some really good feedback on it. So that that's rewarding too. That you know, not only are we having fun doing something that took us forever to get to, but that people are are appreciating you know the work that we're putting into it. Now, all that said, today the two books we're looking at are just a tad less epic than some of what we've seen <laughs> coming up to this point. So hopefully that doesn't turn anybody off because. It's still the thing, and it's still the Hulk. And it's both uh, yeah, this these two I would chalk up is almost kind of these are fringe, you know, because I know in an earlier episode we were talking about you know skipping certain ones like uh, the the one that comes to mind is one of the Infinity and I can't remember which one it is, but one of the Infinity crossovers, um, you know, it's it's one of those books where like everybody who was anybody in marvel is is in the crossover type of thing so the thing and the hulk are there and i think there's one where one book where like they bump into each other or something or or they're playing table tennis or some ridiculous thing and i thought 
you know, I'm not slogging through this just, you know, I'm not going to be that much of a completist. If they don't actually exchange blows, then skip it, you know. And these two books are right on that edge, you know. Cause See, I'm, a, I'm a little are... bit more lenient with my criteria. They don't actually have to fight each other, but they have to have some significant interaction. Interaction, So, exactly. so if, if it's purely a team-up of the two of them and they never actually punch each other, which I, I don't know that there's any of those books anyway where it's a pure team-up and they don't fight. Uh, but if there was one like that, I would say let's do it anyway because it's still a lot of interaction between them. But if it's, you know, thinking, like you say, if it's a big book where it's everybody in the universe and, you know, there's one panel where the two of them are, are focused on and that's it, uh, I'm inclined to pass that up. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I could be wrong. It's been many, many years since I've read it, but I'm thinking that that Starlin graphic novel, I'm trying to remember the name of it. It's like the big change, the big chance, something like that. You know the one I mean? I, do. I think Let me that see if one. I, can I find it. I don't think they actually fight in that one. I, I could be wrong. I think that's just like a like a you know like a buddy adventure type of thing. But I, I could be wrong. But I don't think they actually tussle in that one. And that one's on the list for us to cover. So you know we'll we'll find out one way or the other. I remember really liking that, you know, years ago when I read it as a kid. I, I don't have any idea how it'll how it'll stand up, you know, to the test of time. But no, I, I don't know either, and uh, you know, I'm not sure about a lot of these actually because right? it's been a long time since I read a lot of these. The uh, the Starlin one is called The Big Change, and it's written by Starlin and art by Bernie Wrightson, and I have not read right. it since we originally planned to do this. Yeah. So uh, I'll, look, I'll look forward to that one. Uh, just just kind of jumping ahead here on my list, unless I'm missing anything. The next issue on the list is Hulk 278, uh, which is one of these ones that has you know everybody in it. And I'm not sure. I don't think there is actually a tussle between them. And I think it may be one that we do skip. Uh, so then after that, there's two issues of Marvel Fanfare, issues 20 and 21, uh, which look to be coverable. If that's the case, I would say if we end up skipping 278, which is possible, I'd say the next episode after this one will be the two issues of Marvel Fanfare. And then the episode after that would be the uh, Starlin graphic novel, which probably is worthwhile to give its own episode since it's a graphic right. novel. Right. So anybody who's who's traveling along with us on this road and wants to uh, have already read whatever we're going to cover before we get to it, uh, you, ha you have the uh, the immediate turns in the roadmap. <laughs> Speaking of which, I don't know just if, uh, just as as an aside, uh, I got a big kick. I don't. Do you have ways on your phone? I do. Yes. Uh, you know, for the longest time, I had. Uh, an Australian woman giving me my directions because I just thought <laughs> I just think Australian accents are cool. Uh, but now uh, Kevin Conroy has has given his voice. I don't know if it's temporary or if it's going to stay there, but you can you know with no extra charge you can switch the voice to Batman. There's uh, there's Batman um, and there's, there's the Riddler also, Riddler, right? who I'm not sure is the one from the TV show. Which I just looked this up today. I, I just today this morning as I was eating breakfast. Um, finished my rewatch through of Batman the Animated Series, and um, there was credits for the Riddler at the end of the episode. And I think I had forgotten 
who did the voice. And when I saw the, the voice, I was like, oh, I didn't realize or I'd forgotten that it was him. And now, you know, this was only like a couple hours ago and I've already forgotten again who it was. But it's somebody famous. But, yeah, as I was out driving around the other day, um, now I had been using Batman ever since I found out about this. It was about a week ago I found out about this. And I had been using Batman. And then just out of curiosity, I, I thought, let me see, hear what the Riddler sounds like. So I switched it over to the Riddler. And I can't tell if it's the same voice or not. But it was it was fun. It just wasn't as fun as Batman. So I switched it back. But, yeah, it, it, it is. It's a lot of fun. He says some really cool stuff. So, yeah, it's, it's neat. And you can also change the vehicle. Like how yes. your vehicle yes, on, on, on this on the screen, the on the screen it shows Batman. the Batmobile. Yeah. <laughs> It's neat. Uh, and it's the original Batmobile, like from the beginning of Batman the animated series, not the later, like the sleeked, you know, the the, the like shortened and sleeked up version. It, right. It's the original kind of bulky one, which I always I always really liked. I always thought that was cool. So John Glover did the Riddler in the animated John series. Glover, that's right. Yes. And just yes. to give him his connection more, so he was also uh, Lionel Luther on Smallville. Yep. And many, many moons ago, uh, I actually met him at had to be had to be drag uh, Megacon. I, I forget. But uh, yeah, it was some convention here locally and got to talk to him for a minute. And I got a sound clip from him f- to use uh, that Trendus Magnus used on his show for uh, for his Smallville retrospective. But he was a hell of a neat guy to meet, and I wish I'd realized at the time that he was also the Riddler because we we talked about you know several different you know things that he'd done over the years, but I'd forgotten about the the whole Riddler thing. I thought that was cool, but yeah, really really nice guy, very approachable, um, you know, very giving of his time and everything. And I was kind of surprised that uh, you know, as I recall it anyway, I don't think there was much of a line for him. It, it, in my memory, I just kind of walked right up to him. I'm not sure if that's how, how it really went down, but uh, but yeah, really cool guy. Honestly, when I've gone to Comic-Con and they've in the past have made it you know easy to just walk up to some people, uh, which I think they've kind of done away with that a lot, although we did not, we will yeah. not be having Comic-Con this year anyway. Uh, but anyway, uh, in the past, I've been surprised sometimes at how short some of the lines are or how easy it is to approach some of these people who I consider to be, you know, fairly big stars, uh, you know, it, you know, just out of, out of like in passing, I remember a couple of years ago we were there and we were sitting there and my daughter and I started talking to Ralph Macchio uh, from the Karate Kid. And, you know, I mean, oh, he's not, cool. he's not like a mega star, but he's, you know, he's well known and popular. And I would have thought there'd be more people looking to take pictures with him and get autographs, but we walked right up to him. Or uh, all of a sudden, I can't think of the guy's name. The uh, the guy from The Outsiders who was in The Hitcher. Uh, I can't think of his name all of a sudden, but, uh, you know, my my daughter and I had just watched that movie, The Outsiders, because she had just read the book for school, and then I picked up the movie so we could watch it, and then a couple of days later we were at Comic-Con, and there he was, so we went over and we were talking to him, and you know, most of these guys are really nice when you get a chance to talk to them, so uh, most of them. <laughs> Every once in a while they're like, hey, you can give me money or get out of here, but... You know, for the most part, even if you're just going over to say, hey, I like your work, uh, they're pretty receptive. That's cool. Yeah, I uh, I had the same. It, it's weird because it, you know, sometimes I've had the same experience, you know, where uh, like the last time I was at Megacon, um, I remember like a bunch of people from like Back to the Future were there. 
And while I didn't go talk to any of them, the lines were, were very reasonable. I mean, you know, I'm thinking the wait probably wouldn't have been more than like 15, 20 minutes, you know, to go up and talk to these people. But, you know, then conversely, you know, sometimes you go and it's completely the opposite for people that you would think there wouldn't be much interest in, you know. The guy who was the, you know, the third stormtrooper on the left and, you know, one of the Star Wars movies and he's got, a you know, an hour and a half line or something. So it's weird, you know, it's it's very selective that way. But Well, the, one, the ones <laughs> that surprise me, and I guess it just shows how little I realize about the popularity of it all. Uh, are a lot of the voice actors in anime things get yeah. huge lines. And I've never been into anime, so it doesn't, yeah. you know, it's kind of lost on me. Uh, but it always surprised me, you know, the, the, the lines that I see for those people because I just wouldn't think it would be that much of a draw. But obviously it is. Yeah. yeah and then, then you too. have the, uh, you know, the ones like, you know, a few years back when we met uh, Mark Hamill, you know, that line was ridiculous and. You know, everything's shrouded, you know, it's all, uh, you know, set up so that you can't even see them unless you've paid and you go in there. Uh, but, you know, and then, we, we, you know, the, the whatever it is, the 35 seconds that we saw him, he was actually very nice. But, you know, it's, it's all right, get in, pose, take your picture and get out. You know, you're lucky that you could say a couple of words to the guy. Yeah, that was one of my big disappointments when he appeared um, at... It was either the last or one of the last Star Wars weekends uh, at uh, at Disney. You know, he was there, and I got there, like, ridiculously early in the morning and got in. You know, I, I was within, I, I thought anyway, within, you know, the first couple hundred people to get into the park and, you know, made a beeline over to where he was going to be and everything. And so basically how it worked out, it, it, there was the theater that he was actually in and then there was another theater where it was overflow. And then you went into that theater and you watched him via closed circuit TV. And that's the theater I wound up in. So I got to watch him on television, essentially not even in the same freaking building. I'm like, wow, this sucks, you know? Mm. So yeah, it, but it, it was that kind of a turnout. You know, there were that many people that, uh, you know, that the theater couldn't even, you know, it didn't even have the capacity for everybody that was interested type of thing. But that's a dude I'd really like to meet one day. I, I think he'd be pretty cool to meet. Tina and I were talking about it the other day, and I would say there's only a very small handful of people who at this point in my life I'd be willing to pay money to take a picture with and all of that. Uh, and... The only one I was able to think of off the top of my head as we were discussing it at this point in my life is William Shatner. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, he's he's one I'm I'm going to regret if uh, you know, if I never get to actually meet him. I mean, I've been to, you know, a convention that he appeared at, you know, I was within, you know, spitting distance of the man, but you know, to actually, you know, get to meet him, maybe shake his hand, that that would be a thrill. That'd be a personal thrill for me. Yeah, now he's coming up, you know, probably on, on 90 soon, so we got to hurry. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's yeah, he's getting up there. I, the, the last birthday he had, um, I remember making note, you know, uh, of the age, and I, now I've, I've completely blanked on it, but I want to say like 88, something like that. Yeah, I'd say he's, somewhere around the 88, 89, somewhere in that, that range. Yeah. He's in the Stan Lee uh, ballpark now. Yeah. But, yeah. You know, as much as I, I, we could go on and on, and that is the way Scott and I are, <laughs> uh, I know, you know, we, we build this as a Thing Hulk episode, so we probably should get to Marvel 2-in-1, number 46. 
Yes, let's go ahead and dive into this. Uh, let's see here, somewhere here, I've got a tab open with the credits. Here we go. All right, so th this is the December 1978 cover dated issue. It was actually on sale, according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, on September 5th, 1978. I point this out because this is important to one of my notes later. Uh, really nice cover on this one uh, by Keith Pollard as the penciler and inks by Bob Layton. And you can definitely see the uh, the Layton and the Hulk, especially on the cover. It's uh, the Hulk decking the thing on a movie set. And the verbiage says, Ben Grimm meets Marvel's TV sensation, Battle in Burbank. So right away, you know, you know, it ties it to a specific period in time. It ties it to a specific piece of pop culture, you know, the, the Hulk TV show. And I thought it was interesting that, you know, it says, you know, Ben Grimm meets because it almost makes it for one, it makes it sound like a first time that they're meeting, which we know that's not the case. They've tussled several times. But it also kind of threw me because, you know, when I saw that, I'm like, well, this is the Things book. It's Marvel 2-in-1, and the Hulk's already appeared in this title, or so I thought. And I was really racking my brains. I'm like, I know the Hulk was in an early issue of this. Yeah, you're thinking so of uh, Marvel Feature. I was thinking of Marvel Team-Up, actually. Um, Marvel Team-Up number 18, where it was uh, the Human Torch and the Hulk. That's against, the one. Against Blastar. Yep. I could I could picture the cover in my mind, but for some reason I had replaced the uh, the Human Torch with the Thing, so I, I don't know why I did that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, to my to my recollection, the Thing was always the star of Two and One. But uh, I was surprised a few years ago when I set out to complete my collection of uh, of Marvel Team Up, which I managed to accomplish, uh, that there's a, a decent number of issues uh where spider-man's not the main guy uh, probably know, about 15 or so yeah several of them were with uh, the human torch and a couple were actually with the hulk so anyway uh so let's see what were the rest of the credits here uh we've got writer penciler and letterer alan kupperberg uh, the inker is chick stone colorist shelly lefferman lieferman I'm not, that's not a name I'm familiar with. All right, so full confession, I stole the synopsis off of the Marvel Wiki site, but it was so badly misworded and uh, just grammatically uh, incorrect that I, I shuffled things around. I, I did a little bit of brush up on it, so hopefully it reads a little bit better than it does at, uh, from the actual uh, wiki. So here we go, synopsis for this one. Furious that the Hulk has been given his own TV series, The Thing decides to go to Hollywood and try to talk the studio into making a show based on him. Elsewhere, Bruce Banner himself sees that a TV show based on his alter ego uh, has been created, and this causes him to change into the Hulk. Furious because he thinks the show is making him look stupid, the Hulk heads towards Hollywood as well. Later in Hollywood... As the Thing tries to talk to a studio exec about, about getting his own show, the Hulk arrives and goes on a rampage. After a battle with the Thing, the studio exec agrees not to make the Hulk look stupid on television, satisfying the Hulk to leave, and agrees to give the Thing his own show. However, Ben gets more than he bargains for when, later, back home at the Baxter building, he receives the treatment for the proposed series and realizes that the program is going to be called... Thing in the Family, starring himself <laughs> and Carol O'Connor, and it's just another poorly conceived sitcom. 
And that's pretty much the quick and dirty on this one. Uh, what did you think of this issue? <sighs> well, thing in the family is my favorite part of the thing of the, of the <laughs> issue. I have to say that that brought a smile to my face. Uh, it's to me, it's kind of typical uh, '70s team-up book that you have to contrive some kind of way to get them together. Uh, so I, I feel like there's a lot of that in this, and it's interesting that the art in this book and the next book that we're going to do is both Alan Kupperberg. And just by way of background, I wasn't really all that familiar with Kupperberg's work, but I knew of him, you know, name-wise and all. And when I first joined Facebook, he was active on there. And I ended up friends with him on Facebook, and I found him to be kind of charming. He had, you know, he always posting pictures and things, and it was usually kind of entertaining. He seemed to be a guy who had a, you know, a love of life, and sadly, he contracted cancer and has passed away. So that said, I, I didn't want to be too negative about him because I found him to be kind of charming. Uh, on the other hand, when I looked at the artwork in this book, I wasn't very happy with it, but when I looked at the artwork in the next book we're going to cover, I thought it was superior to this one. So I am going to put a lot of that on the inking. I'm thinking Chick Stone in yeah. this one probably just, you know, just did a workmanlike job instead of, uh, instead of lifting it up a little. Uh, Story-wise, you know, I, like I said, I, I think it's a lighthearted, typical team-up book. It almost feels more style-wise like a Brave and the Bold issue. Yes. The kind of thing, you know, Batman would be involved in. I wouldn't have been shocked if they had never had the thing in the Hulk meet in the issue. And, and when he met the Hulk, it would have been, you know, the uh, comic book version of Lou Ferrigno from the series. I think that, that might have been actually kind of clever. Shock. Yeah, that was my biggest shock reading this is, you know, now I could be wrong, but it, it felt to me, I mean, I assume by the cover copy and everything that this was an attempt to either capitalize on the television show or vice versa to draw attention to the, the TV series from the comic book readers. And, and I'm not sure which it is, but one way or the other. Uh, it's done very strangely, and you know the fact that both the Hulk and the Thing go all the way to California, wind up at the studio supposedly where the show is created. Yet they they never bump into either Bill Bixby, who is referenced by name, or Lou Ferrigno as the Hulk. And I I really thought it would have been cool to see the Hulk meet TV Hulk, and that yeah. never happens. Yes, I mean, that would have given it a little bit more of the feeling of the Marvel team-up with Spider-Man and the not-ready-for-prime-time players. Right. But that was a pretty cool issue when I think about it. So there's no reason you couldn't have done that. And if you were going to do this, I kind of feel like, well, why not do it all the way then? So I, I, think, it, I think we should have at least had a cameo by each of those people, unless, for whatever reason, Lou Ferrigno and or Bill, Bix, Bill Bixby did not want their likenesses in this book. That's possible. I mean, we don't know what the situation was as far as that went. Well, there, there was another mystery for me that, you know, this is all supposition on my part. I have no, you know, factual information on this. But I'm thinking that 
you know, because of the nature of this title, you know, being a team up book, being one of those things where I, I could be wrong, but I don't think there was a regular creative team on the book at this time, was there? I'm not, not, not that certain. I recall. I'm going to take a quick so look because I do have the Marvel Wiki page open. So let me see. The issue before it, 45, is written by Peter Gillis and penciled by Alan Kupperberg. And 47 is written by Bill Mantlo and penciled by Chick Stone. So let's say this is a is an inventory story. You know, it's it's been sitting in a drawer for a while. And the reason I'm thinking that is that while there's no specific dialogue saying so, I get the impression that what both the Thing and the Hulk are seeing is the premiere episode of the Incredible Hulk TV series. Just just the fact of the, the opening page, the Thing's thought balloons make the impression that he's sitting down to, to watch this show for the very first time to, to you know to discover it, you know, to see what the hubbubs because he even says uh, I hated to pass up dinner with Reed, Susie, and the Torch, but I just had to catch this full-color extravaganza with my own two eyes. That tells me this is the premiere episode. Well, the premiere episode came out in November, I want to say, of the prior year. This is September, so that's what, like eight, nine months, something like that? So... That right there tells me that maybe the this story was written actually before the show ever debuted, so they weren't sure, you know, of, of the whole, you know, how things were going to work, maybe who was going to star in it, what it was going to look like. You know, my other piece of, you know, quote-unquote evidence for this is the actual visual we've got on the Things TV, which is the Hulk belting a monster. Now... I, I don't know this for a fact, but I have heard that the Hulk never actually threw a punch in the whole history of the Hulk TV series. I, I don't know that for a fact, but that's what I've heard. And I'm also pretty sure that except for the other Hulk in that two-parter called The First, that he never faced another monster. So I'm kind of thinking that this story was written and maybe even illustrated before the Hulk TV show was actually a thing. Like they knew it was in production. They knew it was going to happen, but it actually hadn't happened yet. And maybe that's why they don't bump into the stars. I, I, I don't know. I, this is all just a guess, but I don't know. So we were talking earlier about Comic-Con and I don't know if it's reality or not. So I don't, I don't want to I don't want to say bad things about the guy. But I've heard that Lou Ferrigno, who's been a regular at at least New York Comic Con for years, because I believe he still lives in New York, the New York area, um, that he's a little surly when you, like, people I, come up and they go to take his picture without paying anything or anything like that. I have firsthand, not 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 personally, but I I have. What, how would you put it? I, I have been a witness to this. Yes, I, I actually saw him like jump to his feet and and get really like pissy with somebody that was taking his picture from afar so yeah i i can easily believe it i've, I've heard that not only is he a bit surly i've heard i've outright heard that he's a dick and i could i can kind of buy it in a way just by his demeanor um the times i've seen him um he i don't know there's something there was a vibe he gave off and i, I can't really place it other than 
it was that vibe you get when when you can tell somebody really doesn't want to be doing what they're doing, you know. Mm-hmm. Based on that, based on that, you know that that reputation. Uh, I kind of wonder if it wasn't a situation where he said, "Well, if you want to put me in there, you know, I want five thousand dollars," and they said, "Screw you, we're not giving you five thousand dollars to put your likeness in there." You know, or whatever dollar amount, you know, fill in the dollar amount that you think is appropriate for for that. You you could be dead right because I know that there were comics. Um, I don't know about actual comic books, but I know that there were comics as far as like strips and backups, um, especially like in the UK, that followed more closely the TV version of the Hulk. But they still continued to kind of illustrate him in the comic book style. But I remember kind of, and I knew who the Hulk was. I'd seen him around. I'd, I'd probably even read some of his adventures as a kid. But I really got into the Hulk, you know, as far as a comic book reader, when the TV series was such a big thing. Because that, that show was huge. And I was right the right age, you know, to really be into it. But I remember being really disappointed that every comic I read um, was stupid hulk and not you know the hulk from the t you know it wasn't the tv show essentially and the closest thing i I can remember ever getting to the tv show was like rampaging hulk the magazine which was much closer in tone and purposely so but even then they it was still comic book hulk as far as you know they were still going with you know the comic book origin it was still bruce banner not david banner and he was still illustrated you know, in the comic book style, but he was more basically they they swiped the whole man on the run thing, but everything else was still comic book Hulk. So I, I'm wondering if they did that, or rather, you know, failed to do that because of either Ferrigno or Bixby or both, uh, you know, not either not giving up, you know, their their okay and their you know likeness rights and all that sort of thing to use them or as you say they wanted you know they wanted paid which would make sense i I could definitely see that with bixby because he was already a star and i could kind of see that with frigno because again he you know he's got that reputation of kind of being a dick so you know i can see it both ways that that definitely yeah i mean i don't know that that's the case but it certainly seems like a possibility Speaking of being a dick, this was my favorite <laughs> note for the entire issue. The very first page, you probably know right where I'm headed with this. Only portrait on the wall. What kind of an asshole smokes a pipe in the family portrait? <laughs> Reed Richards is a dick. Well, you know, the more the older I get, the more when I read books. You know, old FF books, the more I think Reed kind of was a dick. When, when I was a kid, oh, yeah, I, yeah. I, I kind of thought, no, nah, you know, he's just being, uh, you know, the, the absent-minded professor or whatever. But sometimes, like, the way he dealt with Sue, it's like, what an ass. So Not only do I think he's, I, you know, I've always kind of, I, well, uh, full confession, I was never the biggest fan of, of Reed Richards, you know. Uh, and and there's a lot of reasons why. I mean, for one thing, he he's, has a you know the same shtick as a lot of other heroes, you know, from Plastic Man to Elongated Man and everything. So he doesn't really have like his own shtick, if you know what I mean. I mean, there's only one Human Torch, you know, uh, sort of. You know, there's only one thing. There's only one invisible girl. But 
you know, this guy calls himself Mr. Fantastic and other people have his same stick, you know? Well, there's the well, old, uh, what's his name? Norm MacDonald's bit on that. No, you I'm had not to familiar with that. Well, I'll probably put it no. at, the end, at the end of the show, but it's, you know, it's, it's Norm MacDonald is doing the voice of Reed Richards and then he's got other people doing other things and it's the origin of the Fantastic Four. And, and he's like, you know, you are a rocky thing, so we'll call you the thing. You are invisible, we'll call you the invisible girl. You burst into flames, we'll call you the human torch. I have this stretchy power, we'll call me Mr. Fantastic. And they're, they're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> right. But right. I get that. I'm a rocky thing. They call me the thing. He's, but but where do you get Mr. Fantastic for? We think we should, you should call yourself Stretchy Guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that totally. Now I don't. I've never heard that. That's funny because that's that's the whole thing I was just going to go into. But if if Norm Macdonald's already done it, I'm not well, touching it. <laughs> at the at the at the end of this episode, after the after the closing uh, credits, I'll put that bit. <laughs> Now, there's a comment here from the Hulk. Let me see if I can flip through it real quick. Page 23. By the way, I don't know if you have a uh, – what how you're looking at this, but I, I found a scan of it that's complete, including the ad, an awesome Star Wars comic book ad in here. Uh, anyway, page 23, there's a comment – oh, it's in the very first panel. Uh, as the Hulk is – belting the thing and boy that's a really weird looking panel that almost looks like that uh not brand x story that we looked at before he says hulk has beaten you many times thing all right paul what's the official count at this point has uh, he actually beaten him many times no no that's uh, according according to my tally up to this point you have it four wins for the hulk three wins for the thing and three draws so you beat him one more time than the other way yeah. around i have it as Four wins for the Hulk, two wins for the thing, and four draws. Yeah, four four wins is not many. <laughs> now they yeah, fought especially many especially when compared to either two or three losses. Exactly. Although maybe in the in the Hulk's mind, maybe he has won every time or something. I you know who knows how he thinks. <laughs> well, at this point, we have four, six, ten, ten meetings between the two of them. So it is many times that they've met. But, right. you know, uh, I, you know, yeah, maybe maybe in the Hulk's mind, he's won every time. And my biggest problem with the issue, besides the fact that the, the art is wonky and inconsistent, the story's fun. And I, I have an incredible soft spot for Marvel 2 and 1. Um, for some reason, this was one of those series when, when I was a kid, and, and I know I've told this story a million times, but my mom, both my mom and one of my uncles worked in uh, the paper mill that was right across the street from our house at one point when we lived in, in Carthage, New York. And they would come home sometimes with, with entire boxes full of stripped comics, meaning the cover had been removed from them. You know, They were intended to be pulped. And they would come home with these boxes just full of comics for me. And, uh, you know, so many times there were issues of two and one in there. And I, and I just got to really love the title. You know, I had so many issues of it. And so, you know, for that reason, it's always hard for me to be too harsh with two and one because I, I just I equate this with good old fun comics because it was always fun. And this issue is fun, too. And I really enjoy it in that way. But looking at it. You know, with a, with a critical eye for this review, my biggest 
problem with it was on page 27, the Hulk and the thing are going at it. They're battling. They're going from, from movie set to movie set. And in the next to the last panel on that page, the Hulk's fed up and he goes, no, uh, now Hulk will end TV show end the thing forever. And he's pissed. And he, he does like a Samson and he snaps these two pillars and literally brings the house down or at least brings the set down. It comes crashing down, and this dude, I don't know who this guy is, says, good Lord, no one could have survived that. You flip a couple pages because there's these ads, and then when they pick up afterwards, the very first line of dialogue as the thing is lifting the set off of these people, and you realize that somehow he and the Hulk have saved these innocent bystanders, um, He's the thing is lifting this stuff up, and the Hulk is saying, Hulk uh, thinks that the thing was telling the truth. Huh? Well, yeah, what the, the hell happened? Yeah, we're missing something there. There's, there's, there's a disconnect. You're right. Yeah. It, it, you know, he's had a complete change of heart while we flipped pages. <laughs> you know, and I, I see it, the edge influenced him. You know, I, I had to actually check to make sure like my scan wasn't missing a page or something. And it's not, I mean, it, it literally goes from he's ready to end the thing to oh I guess you were telling the truth and now we're buddies and I'm like well that's that's shitty writing I'm sorry yeah you know that's just there's a jump in the narrative and uh, yeah it, it bugs me because then uh, there's a quick assurance from the sleazy producer guy to the Hulk that uh, you know we promised that uh, you're gonna be a big star and we won't make it look stupid anymore and the Hulk's like oh okay and then he just leaves I'm I'm like well that. You know, that's kind of a crap ending. I mean, I know they had to wrap this thing up, and you know, it was a, it was a one and done, and it's just for fun. But that sort of thing bugs me. It's like, no, you know, draw, draw this out. They were in the middle of this epic tussle, and now it's just it just fizzles out. So, totally agree. Oh, and uh, Karen Page turned to turned to porn after this. <laughs> I just yes. To point that. <laughs> yes, she did. Porn and drugs. Not, not making that up. But uh, yeah, I mean it, it. It 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 reeks of Bob Haney. <laughs> you know, that's why I said it feels yes. like an issue of of the Brave and the Bold. Yeah, yeah. You know, you mentioned that earlier that it felt like Brave and the Bold. And I I didn't quite follow, but yeah, when you say that that it feels like a Bob Haney. Yes, now I see exactly where you're going. You know, what, where you're coming from. Because yes, it does. It has a very zany Haney feel to it, which is fine. You know, I enjoy those sorts of things. You know the. You know, the Batman taking a, a, a commercial flight with Richard Dragon to get to the bad guy. <laughs> you know, stupid shit like that. It's, it's dumb, but it, it cracks me up, you know. Or, or Commissioner Gordon being a complete dick to Batman who works for free, you know, stuff like that. You know, this isn't quite that crazy, but it's got some, you know, it's got some silliness to it. I, but, I think uh, just, just by the nature, yeah, you know, still, even by the elevator pitch for this story, it's almost like, well, you got to be silly or, or it's it's just not going to work. Uh, so, you, you know, just from the cover itself, you know, when you see that they're on the movie set and all, I think you should anticipate it being silly. Right. right. So, you know, that doesn't bother me in and of itself. I, I, I enjoy silly. Uh, but I but I want, you know, I want a little bit more humor in my silly. Like, the concept is silly, but I don't think the book was all that funny. 
So I, I think, you know, we uh-huh. could have made more of it. And and quite frankly, I, I really, really, really dislike the inking in this book. I think it's terrible. Uh, the line work is very thick. Uh, it doesn't look like he did anything to actually embellish the pencils. Uh, I'd be curious to see what the pencil lo- pencils looked like before they were inked. Uh, but, you know, the, you know, the characters look like caricatures. They don't look like people all that much. Uh, it bears mentioning that we, you know, as, as the Hulk is, uh, bursting through the set, you know, or through the studio, he actually bursts onto the set of mesh, uh, with, with a very mad magazine, Alan Alda and Radar O'Reilly, uh, (laughs) Gary Berghoff, uh, in, in, in a shot. So, and that begs the question of, you could use Alan Alda's likeness, but you couldn't do Lou Ferrigno or Bill Bixby. Yeah. You know, it seems kind of strange. We have right. a, we have a subplot but, but in this the realm of satire or something. I, I don't, yeah, I don't know. There's a, there's a subplot in this with the, uh, three disgruntled former script writers, uh, coming into, kidnap Karen Page and look for $100,000 in ransom, which just kind of like goes by the wayside. I don't think they, do they actually get arrested or, or does the set come around, uh-huh. them, come down around them and they just leave? Something happens here. Where is it? There's... I think the kidnapping effort obviously gets broken up, but I'm not sure that they ever get taken into custody. They run out. I'm trying to see what happens to them here. Yeah, you know, it doesn't show. Are they amongst the people in the... Yeah, you're right. I, did, I didn't even catch that. I guess, you know, oh, in wait, theory, wait, wait, no, they're no, among the people in the rubble after the Hulk knocks down the yeah. set. So they, they get arrested. We just don't see it happen. Well, it's when the, when the thing is lifting the rubble off, he says, hey, it's about time you security bozos showed up. Why don't you help these three goons into custody so I can set this mess down? And then it just skips to the producer guy telling the Hulk about, you know, we promise you're going to be a big star, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, they they did. But, yeah, it's it's a blink and you miss it type of thing. So, yeah, the, 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 the whole structure of this thing is, is very weird. Well, the, <laughs> the, the pacing of the story could be better done. Yeah. And... Frankly, there's no excuse for that when your writer is your penciler. Right. You know, you, sh- you should have this thing plotted out very carefully so that, that it's paced well. When, you know, there's, there's no chance for miscommunication when it's, when it's the same person. Uh, you know, my, my favorite, my, my only real joke that brought a smile to my face was Thing in the Family. I, th- I thought that was amusing. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then we get, I guess, uh, storyboards that are included with it. And there's one where, it, you know, again, another Carol O'Connor likeness. We don't have a problem putting him in there. And next to him is the thing. And if you look carefully, you could see he's got Rob Reiner's <laughs> hair and mustache. I didn't notice the hair, but I definitely saw the mustache. But, yeah, now that you pointed out, the hair thing is, is funny. And in the thing, it's it's got the dialogue, shut up, you orange meathead. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I mean, I definitely got a kick out of that. I actually want to see this show now. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, beyond that, this this book is this book is extremely forgettable. I think you know, oh. a week a week from now, I won't even remember what the storyline was. 
So yeah, the best the best thing about it, honestly, is that cover. I really like the the Bob Layton inks on the Hulk. He he looks great. That's a really good illustration of the Hulk. Yeah, no, I, I, I give you the cover. I, I I think you know it's 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 solid, uh, and it does a good job. You know, I, I would like to see a the way the thing in the Hulk are. I would almost like to bring them more forward and see more. But then you lose the fact that you have the cameraman and the stu- the set around them, which you know is evocative of the story that we're getting. So I'm, I'm kind of cool with the fact that they did it the way they did. But before we rate it, we should uh, take a look at the battle and see what we think. Oh, yes. <laughs> so <laughs> <why we're> here. <laughs> they first come up against each other on page 22. So we're pretty far into the story before they actually... Uh, before any punches are thrown. So the Hulk, Hulk decks the thing with a shot. Then on page 23, he gets him with another one right in the mush. Uh, thing comes back and gets the Hulk in the face. Hulk uh, looks like gives a kind of a flying tackle on the thing. And the thing hits another shot in the face of the Hulk. Then the battle breaks up for a little while. And we get back together on page 27, where the Hulk lands a punch and knocks the thing down. It looks like the fifth panel shows the thing landing another blow, and then that's when the Hulk knocks down the set. So I don't think we can. I, I personally don't think we should be judging this one just by the number of punches that they actually show, because uh, I'm looking at it and I'm thinking they each have probably you know, relatively equal standing in the battle. They each land some good shots. They each knock the other down. Uh, I'm looking at another draw here, I think. I'm looking here to see, does the thing actually knock the Hulk down, though? He hits him in the face a couple of times, but except for that shot where they're falling down the stairs... We'll go to page uh, 24... The, fir- op- the fir- first panel shows him landing a shot in the Hulk's face. Second panel has the thing leaving, but the Hulk is on the ground. So I'm, sa- I'm taking that as he knocked him down. Okay. Yeah, I, I can see that. And then uh, on page 27, the fifth panel kind of has the thing on top of the Hulk landing shots. Yes. Yeah. So I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm kind of seeing it as pretty even. Yeah, I mean, if, if you're going for draw on this one, I, I'd say draw. Because the, the only thing where, where I'd be temp- more tempted to give it to the Hulk is just the fact that he looks like just about every shot he lands on the thing actually knocks the thing down or off his feet. Whereas that it's not so much always the case when... Uh... Wait, no, I take that back. On page 26, that... that where he hits the Hulk, the Hulk is down. So, yeah, so they they look pretty evenly matched in this. So there's no definitive end to the fight because the fight ends when when the roof collapses, and then yeah, after and, that and they're it, buddies. So. And it doesn't appear that there's any significant blow that really incapacitates the other one for any length of time. Right. Yeah. No, nobody nobody lands that that you know that real great shot. So I'm kind of you know I'm kind of content with the draw on this one. Yeah. So I that's said, that. we should rate the book. And you went Quick first, so I'll let you go. Go ahead. Um, 
trying to find the page here. Page 11. Is that Howard the Duck? Yes. Okay. Because he doesn't introduce himself as Howard. He says his name is Uncle Waddles. And I'm thinking, okay, was there a time in, in Howard's history where he was appearing on TV as a, as a character or something, you know, in his own continuity? I'm just I not, can't say that definitively, but my guess is yes. Okay. I don't know that for a fact. And, but but uh, the reason why I say definitively that it is him is that in the Marvel Wiki they list it as him. Oh, okay. All right. Want me to do grades on this one? Yeah. You go first. It was your summary. All right. Uh, cover on this one. I think I'm gonna go. Uh, I think I'm gonna go an A minus on this one because I, I agree with you. I think the the heroes should be, or you know, whatever you want to call the thing in the Hulk. Uh, I think they should be brought forward just a little bit more, be a little more front and center. But uh, but I do like it. I think it's uh, a dynamic cover. And again, I really like the inking job on this. And uh, and uh, and uh, you know the pencil's good too. I've always been a big fan of uh, Keith Pollard, and to this day, I wonder whatever happened to that guy. You know, he was he was such a star, and then he just kind of disappeared. Yeah. Um, so I really like the cover. Uh, the interior, eh, not so much. Um, Alan Kupperberg, I mean, I, I like his art style, but he's he's definitely not one of my favorites. Uh, you you had said earlier, you know, workman like. Um, you know, in reference to Chick Stone, but I think that goes very well for Alan Kupperberg as well. You know, he's very workmanlike, gets the job done. You know, he's not terribly flashy or anything like that. Chick Stone, I'm not all that familiar. I mean, I couldn't pick his style out or anything, but I agree with you that just based on you know the fact that the next book we're going to look at is also illustrated by Kupperberg, I'm thinking that with this issue are chick stone uh, i think the ink's just way too heavy it's there's too much black um it's just too thick a line through so much of the book it, it gives it a weird uh feeling to it so yeah I, i'm not crazy about the the art job in this it's not bad per se it's just it's not terribly dynamic or visually appealing uh it almost looks like a humor book in a lot of the story here and i and i don't know if that was intentional or not i know it's not the most serious story in the world but i i don't know that they were going for straight out you know comedy either as you say there's not real it's not really funny um it's just kind of you know funny wacky things happen but it, it's not funny per se so anyway uh, art wise on this i i think i'm just going to go a middle of the road c it's not great it's not horrible it's just kind of there and then the story, the story's goofy, it's wacky, but it was fun. Um, it just, it's not paced very well, and it does have jumps in the narrative. So story-wise, I think I'll go a, I'll go a C plus. It's 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 okay. Uh, <coughs> overall, overall grade, I think on this one of, uh, yeah, I think I'm gonna go a C plus as an overall grade as well. It, it's fun. It's worth a read, but uh, you know it's nothing that's gonna stick with you. All right, uh, I like the cover. I think you like it a little bit more than I do. Um, I think it's solid. I, I, I agree with you. I think the inking on it's really nice. I think the uh, the pencils are very clean. Uh, it, it it definitely gets the point across. I just don't think it's quite an A. So I'm gonna give it a B plus. Uh, the interior art. 
I got to say, it, it almost looks to me like the level of art that I would expect for like Spidey Super Stories. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's I, I don't think it's good at all. Uh, I also think it's paced poorly, as we mentioned earlier. So, in, to me, C is average. I think this is below average. I don't think it's absolutely horrible, but I think it's below average. So I'm going to give it a D. Uh, I, I just don't care for the artwork in this book at all. And story-wise, I think it's effective. Like, I think the elevator pitch for this one makes sense. Okay, you know, the thing is going because he's jealous and wants to be, uh, you know, have his own show. The Hulk is going there because uh, he's he's seen that he's being portrayed and and thinks they're making fun of him. And comedy ensues. Uh, And that's all well and good, except I just don't think there's a lot of comedy here. Uh, I would be tempted to give it a C minus, except Thing in the Family bumps it up to a C as far as I'm concerned. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm bumping it up a slight grade just because that did make me laugh. Uh, so I'll give it a C on the story, and overall I will give the book a C because uh, I think the cover makes up for the interior art and the story is a C, so we'll go with that. So moving on from there, our next Thing Hulk meetup is in Marvel 2-in-1 Annual number 5, uh, which it has a cover date of September of 1980, so not too long afterwards. Uh, the cover artist on it is, once again, uh, Joe Alan Kupperberg, but this time out he's inked on the cover by Joe Sinnott. Uh, the cover shows The Stranger, uh, standing facing the reader with both arms uh, out, you know, giving jazz hands uh, with Kirby <laughs> Crackle coming off his hands. And then in front of him, you know, he, with that energy, he's apparently holding the Hulk and the thing, uh, you know, in suspension uh, in the air in front of him. Uh, and it says, you know, when a stranger calls. So I think it's a pretty sharp cover. And I think Joe Sinnott inking it. It's it's so obvious that it just brings it into that Fantastic Four uh, style that we've seen so much of with Joe Sinnott. Uh, but he does not ink the interior art. The story is once again written by Alan Kupperberg and penciled by Alan Kupperberg. But the in- interior inking is by Pablo Marcos, uh, colored by Nell Yamtav and lettered by John Costanza. So the story in this one is... The Fantastic Four are on their way to the New York City mayor's office to help promote the I Love New York campaign when the Fantastic Car is suddenly struck by a mysterious bolt of energy that puts Reed, Sue, and Johnny into a death-like state. Avoiding a near crash, Ben takes his comrades back to the Baxter building and puts them in life pods and runs an examination machine. He learns that they have been bombarded with gamma radiation and figured that in a situation like this, Reed would seek out the aid of Bruce Banner, a.k.a. the Hulk. While in the New Mexico desert, the Hulk bounds through the desert, finding peace in the solitude. Not far away, Betty Ross and her father, General Ross, go to the site of the Gamma Bomb test where Bruce Banner transformed into the Hulk. When the Hulk happens upon them, he becomes furious and tries to attack when the trio are all struck down by another energy bolt. While Betty and the General are also put in a death-like state, the energy causes the Hulk to transform back into Bruce Banner. 
Banner takes Betty and the general to one of his secret labs where he determines that they have been bombarded with cosmic rays and he should seek out Reed Richards' aid in saving his loved ones. And I'm going to interrupt the uh, story there to say, I don't think General Ross is really one of his loved ones, but uh, (laughs) we'll, we'll go with that. Meanwhile, in deep space aboard his personal planetoid, the stranger prepares to deal with a cosmic threat that threatens the entire universe and must swallow his pride when he realizes the only beings that will be able to help him accomplish his goals are the Thing and the Hulk. He then straps himself into a device that sends him in a beam speeding towards the two beings he seeks. Back on Earth, Banner notices that Ben is on his way in the pogo plane and prepares to meet him outside. Just then, the stranger materializes on Earth, causing Ben's plane to crash and upsetting Banner enough to trigger another transformation into the Hulk. The two recognize the stranger as a menace from their previous encounters. Both the Thing and the Hulk try to attack the cosmic cosmic being and find themselves woefully overpowered. The stranger freezes the two brutes and explains that he has come seeking their aid in stopping a universal menace. The Thing easily understands and agrees, and then manages to convince the Hulk to join them as well. The stranger transports them to Hades, the Olympian underworld, where its ruler, Pluto, has devised a device that fires hellish energy into the heart of a black hole in the hopes of destroying the universe so that Pluto might rule over a universe of eternal darkness. When the Hulk attempts to attack straight on, both the Thing and Stranger try to get the simple-minded monster to exercise restraint and form a strategy, which leads to the Thing and the Hulk coming to blows and forcing the Stranger to attack Pluto head-on. During the fight, Pluto manages to overpower the Stranger and unleashes a horde of demons on the Thing and the Hulk. Pluto then threatens to throw the Stranger's body into the device, thereby speeding up its process of destroying the universe. However, the Hulk becomes furious and uses his strength to destroy the device itself, leaving the thing to save the stranger while Pluto falls into the device of his own making. Pluto's spirit is fired up into the black hole where it is seemingly destroyed, ending his threat. With the machine also destroyed, the revived stranger returns them to Earth where he thanks the two brutes before departing. When Ben wonders what he is to do about their unconscious friends, he's surprised when General Ross and Betty emerge from the cave alive and well. The Hulk departs, not wanting to be hassled by the military once more, and Ben rushes back to the pogo plane, where he finds his fellow FF members have been similarly similarly revived following Pluto's defeat. Ben promises to tell his bewildered teammates about what happened as they hitch a ride back with General Ross. The End So, (laughs) I think this one is a better story than the previous one, because it's a little bit more epic in its scope. I think, right off the bat, the artwork is vastly superior to what we got in the previous issue. Uh, That's not to say it's like the greatest artwork ever, but I think it's it's much more evocative of what we want to see of a superhero battle. I think there are a couple of panels which look, you know, far superior to what we saw in the other issue. Um, There's there's elements in it where it's still, you know, a little bit more plain, but it's still, like I said, it's still superior. The the line work is much cleaner and less less with thick blacks and all of that. Uh, The story has a couple of elements that did make me scratch my head, like uh, after they're uh, knocked into unconsciousness, the thing actually puts the three of them into stasis cubes, which 
they appear to be floating in liquid in these stasis cubes. It seems like a little beyond his his, his knowledge or his his you know abilities that he's running these tests on them to find out there's, there's gamma radiation in play. Uh, I would think more likely you know he'd they'd end up in a hospital somewhere and he could get that information or even you know if if he had some other Marvel scientist you know if you have a little cameo by Hank Pym or somebody who who's helping him. And, and, you know, I, I think it would make actually now that I say that I think it would make a lot of sense if he like took them to Avengers Mansion and that at Avengers Mansion, somebody advised him, you know, Hank Pym or the Beast or somebody like that said, you know, I run some tests and it looks like this gamma radiation, blah, blah, blah. Bruce Banner would be the one to help. And then the thing leaves that person, whether it's Pym or the Beast or whoever, leaves that person to care for the friends while he seeks out the Hulk. That would make a lot more story sense to me than what we got. Yeah, uh, I can see that. I, I, I kind of, I, I totally agree with you in that regard. But I, I also see it as, I kind of like the thought that maybe a lot of Ben's demeanor and character is, is kind of a put on, almost almost an affectation. Like he, like he's playing to. I don't want to say a stereotype, but he's playing to a character that that he's smarter than. You know what I mean? Like he. No, I, I think I think no that's dummy. true. No, I, I agree with that. I, I think that's. I think when they portray him as being kind of dopey, that's a bad thing. I don't think they should do that uh, because I don't think that's real. But I think if you have him acting the dummy sometimes, you know that would work much better for me. Uh, right. But. There's a difference between not being a dummy and being able to put people in stasis cubes and examine the level of gamma radiation in their bodies. So I I, 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 I think that one. If I had to no prize that, I would say that that's more Reed's machine is doing that, you know, doing the analyzing, doing the the recommendation of, you know, what to be done and everything, as opposed to the, the thing having a knowledge of it. Like he just puts them in the thing to try to save them. And then he's letting the computer run all the tests, and then you know the computer says, "Okay, this is what's wrong with him." Type of th- I, I, that's how I read it anyway. I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I, I do too. I just I just don't think the thing would have the wherewithal to run the machine and all of that. Like I said, I, I would <laughs> rather I would rather I don't like everybody in our superhero world being you know able to just do things well beyond uh, what their super abilities are. Right. So you know the thing the thing when it comes to you know education and knowledge he should be an average guy who's been exposed to a little bit more so he has some working knowledge of some things but i don't think he should be able to run reed's machines because i think that should be beyond his his skill level but you know it's it's a little bit of a nitpick i know but it's just that's where i go not not at all i mean again with the caveat that i completely agree with you because i i think that makes him a more interesting character i think it makes any character more interesting you know when when they don't have every every tool that they might need you know every skill set um at the same time you know and and this is just me playing devil's advocate and kind of no prizing this is that you know they are the world's first you know this world's first super team you know they're they're supposed to be the premier you know the first family of superheroes type of thing so i can easily see where reed has made it a requirement for these team members to have at least a, a, a basic cursory knowledge of how to run 
you know, what he would consider his more important machines. And this one, you know, if it's a life-saving mechanism, you know, for the team, then, then I would see where he would, you know, specifically want those other team members to be trained enough to be able to, okay, if something happens to me and I'm off the table, you still need, need to be able to run the Baxter building and run this machine and that machine and monitor the, the negative zone and, you know, stuff like that. If Reed wasn't there, I, I can kind of see that, but all of that said, I agree with you that I think it'd be, it would better serve the story if he went to a bigger brain. <laughs> so, yeah, and and it, also, it also serves to, you know, especially in a team-up book, it's nice to have these appearances by other characters. Definitely. And, and, yeah. and not only especially in a team-up book, but an annual of the team-up book. So you know, <laughs> to me, that there's supposed to be a little bit of an epic nature to that. So it, it would add even more to it to have a cameo from the Beast or from Yellow Jacket or, you know, I'm trying to think of who else you'd go with there. Even Tony Stark, you know, somebody. Well, I mean, and again, you know, I, I totally agree with you on that point because my biggest, I was shocked to hear you say that you you had such a high opinion of the, that you thought this was a better story than the last one because. I total. I'm at the complete opposite end. What bothers me the most about this one is that the threat is epic in scope. This threat is a crisis on Infinite Earths level event. The entire goddamn universe is going to end due to what Pluto is doing, and who's facing it? The Thing and the Hulk. What? Well, you yeah, know, and, and, and that, that is another one of my notes on this thing. Is is you know, how does how does he make a determination that I need these two, nobody else, just yeah. these two? Could, because part of his plan here is he does something that strikes down the other three members of the Fantastic Four, who obviously could even be more of a help to him. And then you know to add insult to injury is the fact that he chose them for some nebulous you know for some reason these two beings out of every you know the whole universe are crucial to my... Only they can save the... And what do they do? They punch the bad guy. What? I mean, I you know, I, I would buy stories like that that tell you that only this character or only these sets of characters can, can fulfill the mission if they then demonstrate that in how they take down the threat. That's not I, demonstrated here. Much, much we're, we're reversing our situation guy. here because I don't disagree with you at all. <laughs> I would have liked to have seen either he had some sort of a, uh, you know, some sort of an inkling, an omen into the future that made him think that these two were critical to his success, some sort of prophecy or something silly like that, or right. he had a strategy that is articulated before this battle begins that specifies why they were necessary. Right. Yeah. One of it, those two things would have would have just made it fine that he went after the two of them. Yeah, and, and there was ample opportunity to do that because another thing that really drove me nuts was right towards the end of the story, there's that moment where I'm trying to flip to it and there's just too many damn pages in this thing, but there's the moment where it really looks like, you know, thing, things look dire. And, damn it, where the hell is it? The Hulk, and oh, here it is. It's page 28. So Pluto is about to drop the stranger into the magic flame pit or whatever that's that's going to speed up the process. 
and he says, insolent worm, he says, uh, with but a jester, Pluto shall create an energy-sapping barrier. And he pops this barrier up in front of them that they can't get through. And I'm thinking, here is your prime opportunity to explain why the stranger thought that these two characters were, were the only two or the best two to face this threat that make it to where there's something about their physiological makeup. Maybe it's because the Hulk is, you know, rampaging with gamma energy and, and, you know, the, the thing is, you know, full of cosmic energy, you know, and somehow they're, that combination works to defeat the energy, you know, something stupid, you know, comic book sciencey thing. No. How do they defeat it? The, the, the thing out of nowhere with no real reason to think so just says, you know what? If we just stop trying to defeat the barrier and just walk through it, that'll work. And it does. And then they go and they punch the bad guy and that's the end of the story. And I'm like, what well, that's shit, you know? Yeah, well, and then also, how long how long is he going to stand there holding the stranger by his cape and dangling him uh, over the pit? Oh, I'm going to drop him in. It's going to speed this up. You better stop me right. quick. <laughs> and yeah, I was exactly. like, you know, just drop him in there. Yeah, he's a, he's about to do it for like five pages. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, it, it, is, then, it is silly. I, I don't disagree with you there. Now, unless the pit is of a different makeup than the rest of Hades, I don't get how they defeat him. Because a point is made in this story that Pluto is constantly drawing more energy and more power from the flames of his realm. So how does falling into the flames of his own realm that he's drawing power from defeat him? That made no sense to me at all. I, oh, I didn't I, get that. I just, I just take it as... Uh... You know the the device that he created was siphoning that energy towards this black hole, and once he fell into it, he couldn't prevent himself from being drawn there, and that's where they feel he was trapped. Uh, I, I actually like when, when every drops in and they show his essence flying towards the black hole. He's doing the Superman up, up and away as kind of a genie, uh, the way he's drawn. Um, yeah, you know, you're all right. I mean, this this is there's there's a lot of things about this story that don't make sense. One of the other things that I had a note on was, you know, Bruce Banner still has a bunch of secret laboratories in in the uh, desert after all these years. They haven't found oh, well, any of those. That was actually at one point I only had like three notes on this, and they all are within like pages of each. It was all on page twelve, thirteen, and fourteen. <laughs> so, page twelve. You know, it's it's the beginning of chapter four, and it starts with you know this this half a page splash of Bruce Banner, and you know he's the the buffer Banner that neither you or I really like, wearing his purple pants, walking through his secret underground lab, and this giant freaking TV. <laughs> I mean, that thing is China. What's that got to be? It's got to be like a ninety-five inch screen or something. It's ridiculous. Thinking, and, it's, and it's a four by three ratio. I, I, yeah, exactly. And you know, I could have, I could spend an hour talking about this one panel. It's just, it's, it's shit like this that takes me right immediately out of a story because I'm thinking, okay, first off, why do you need a TV that big? Why? You're Bruce Banner. No, no, I mean, you sound, now you sound like all wives. <laughs> why do you need a TV that big? <laughs> 
Because I do. <laughs> but, I mean, seriously, from a practical standpoint, what what does he need that for? Okay, then how did it get there? Um, and then this is something I, I'm, I'm surprised that this giant TV made me think of this because I've read so many, you know, I've read all the early Hulk stories where he was hiding in the cave and doing, you know, radiation experiments and all that sort of thing. But I never thought of it until I saw this giant TV. Who's paying for all this shit? Now, I never got the impression that Bruce Banner was a rich guy at all. I don't I don't know that that was ever addressed or anything. So is this stolen? Did he did he swipe this stuff from Gamma Base and set up? I mean, I would think somebody would notice a giant TV walking out the door. You know what I mean? So it's just... It, <laughs> and I think PC Richards like isn't just delivering that, it there. <laughs> You know, I, I again, I'm I'm surprised I never thought about it with like you know the giant Kirby machines in there that were that were zapping him with radiation and all. It, it, it took the giant TV to make me think of this, but it, it does. It pulls me right out of the story because I'm trying to think how does the internal logic of this universe make that possible? And I just I can't see a way that it does. So it, it's just it's silly to me. And then to make matters worse, on the very next page, Falk smashes the TV. <laughs> For really no reason. He just smashes, he turns into the Hulk and smashes the TV. And then what was my note about Fort? Oh, on page 14, um, this is really nitpicky, I know, but I, I it, again, it kind of pulled me out of the story a little bit. So this, this story is set in 1980, right? Right. And as the thing is desperately trying to save the what is this the pogo plane yes um and, you know keeping it from smashing into the floor of the desert by keeping the nose up and all that it says uh, you know the narration box says finally the expert ex army air corps fighter uh, ace fighter ace summons up all his flying still blah 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 and it goes on and on so it's referring to ben and the fact that he was an ex Army Air Corps fighter aides. Okay, that's fine, except the Army Air Corps ended in 1947. That's 33 years before this. So are you really wanting to make that kind of a reference and, and, and date this guy that far back? Because that makes the thing an old man. It puts him at least in his 50s. Yeah. and, and Wait, 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 wait. That's not old. <laughs> hey, I'm right there with you, pal. I'm in my 50s, too. So I'm just thinking, you know, it got me to thinking about the sliding timescale of the Marvel Universe. Was that yet a thing? Because I always want to credit that to John Byrne, but I'm not sure that that's, that that's accurate. Is that fair to credit him with that? I think, Is he the one that came up with that? I don't think he's the only one who ever did that. I think uh, they did make mistakes when they let things be dated. Uh, specifically like that, and I didn't realize that that you know the timeline that you just pointed out with the you know 1947. I mean they were supposed to be World War II people, um, but yeah, the more time that went by, the less that made sense. In 1960, when you know the Fantastic Four were you know first introduced, it made total sense, but right, you know, it's uh, 20 years later, it doesn't. So, yeah, they shouldn't have, they, they definitely should not have, they could have just said fight a pilot and that left it at that. 
Or Air Force. Uh, just uh, my my thought was just update it to Air Force, and then it's nebulous. It could be it could be any time after 1947, which makes a lot more sense. But but, but then but then you then you're contradicting the fact that they were supposed to be in World War Two, which you don't necessarily want to call attention to it one way or the other. So I just would have called him a fighter pilot and left it at that. I don't right, I don't yeah. see the real that, need to yeah. go beyond that. That definitely works. Yeah, it's just my my point is, you know, with the with and it may not have been a thing yet in in 1980. I really can't remember, but eventually we would come up with the whole thing of the of the sliding time scale. And Burns' explanation, I always liked the best, which was not to change things, not to you know, not to feel the need to constantly update or constantly, you know, be modern or, or to tinker with origin stories, but to just simply do simple things like drop certain references. You know, like the fact of, of Tony Stark's whole origin being set during the Vietnam War. Just stop referencing that after a while. Or, or you know, more specifically to this, um, stop referencing uh Ben Grimm and Reed Richards' uh, ties to World War II. Just don't reference yeah. that anymore. Or, but you, you reference you it without specifying content. a timeline. You, you exactly. reference the fact that they were in the military together. Right. But you don't have to say when. You reference <laughs> the fact that Tony Stark was visiting you know, a country, uh, I don't know if you want to say if it's an Asian country, a Middle Eastern country or whatever, but he was outside of the United States with a place where we had not so friendly relations. That's all you have to say. You don't have to specify what country it is at all. Right. Because I mean, when you when you specifically tie characters to world events like that, you know, and then those those events become more and more dated. It it dates the character. It dates the material, and it becomes sillier the further. You, I mean, for example. Uh, you know, you take like the Justice Society of America. Now, I love those characters and everything, but, you know, there's been all this clamor to bring them back and work, you know, the modern day DC. And, everything. and I can't help but wonder how in the hell is that going to work? Because 20 years ago, that was starting to really push credibility. But now these days, I mean, those characters are coming up fast. You know, World War Two as an event is coming up real fast on being 100 years ago. So how the hell is that going to work with these guys that, you know, they're not even octogenarians anymore. They're, they're way past that. See, I think you have because to, with, with the Justice Society, at, you, I think you have to do kind of what they've done with Captain America. And you have them somehow that they were in suspended animation or something for a period of time. Yeah. And you leave that period of time very nebulous. And, and you don't specify how long it was. But now... And you, you, you could have them having, having gone into suspended animation in the 50s. So this way they're not young kids who just kind of, you know, because I didn't like when they did that in the new 52, that they introduced the Justice Society and they were all in their 20s. I like them as the senior heroes. So yes. you, you, I, I think, you know, when, when they reintroduced them in the, in the 70s, uh, and, you know, you had the Flash with the Great Temples, and, you know, they, they were older heroes, but they weren't old men, so to speak. Right. Uh, that's, that's what I enjoy. So, 
you know, I, I think if you, you know, if you came up with some sort of storyline, and you could probably try and make it a little epic and make it a, you know, a miniseries or whatever, that somewhere after World War II ended, you could make it after the Korean War ended. Like I said, this way they are older heroes, uh, that they were somehow put into some sort of suspended animation or they were put in through some sort of time travel or whatever, and they came back in modern day and they're, you know, heroes out of time, blah, 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 blah. And, but, you know, you could have them be older and, and still, you know, Actually, what I would do is I would actually have them do that, but then have them ha that they've been out of that suspended animation of that time loop for a period of years already. So they've acclimated right. themselves to the current day. They're not, right. you know, they're not like, oh, what's a computer? How do I use that? They've already gone through all of that stuff before we even get there. So now all they are is the senior heroes on, on our world. Right. Yeah, see, I completely agree with that. It's just... You know, for certain characters, like, say, Captain America or the Justice Society, you know, that tie to World War II is crucial to what makes them the characters that they are. Tying Reed Richards and Ben Grimm to World War II does nothing for their characters at this point. You know, it, it was never part of their origin. It was never part of, you know, some crucial part of, of their character makeup. So to still be referencing that, you know, in 1980, 33 years after the end of the, the army, it just doesn't make any sense to me at all. That that was really my point on this is it, it's a it's a dated reference already, you know, as you inject it in. It's not like a, a reference that has dated over time, like the reference to the Hulk TV show and the last one. This was already out of date when they made it. So mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's just weird. Um. Honestly, the only other note I've really got for this one, well, I, I've got two. I've got uh, the cover, but I'll, I'll save that for when we're doing our grades on this, um, is I always feel really bad when uh, I open up an issue inked by Pablo Marcus because I'm always struck with the same thought, which is why do I never remember this guy when you know I'm thinking about like great inkers in, in comics history? Because I don't think I've ever disliked a, a Pablo Marcus inking job. I think the guy had real chops. I, I think he's a hell of an inker. And as soon as I open this book, I'm like, oh, wow, this is really, really nice. And I really like this guy's work. But I, he's one of those artists who just never really comes to mind, you know, when I'm thinking about, you know, artists and specifically inkers that I like. But I, I really like this stuff. He's, I, I think he really brought the, the art up. Uh, very solidly on this issue. You know, art-wise, it's not perfect, but it, it's a hell of a lot better than the last issue. And uh, and there are some genuinely really really nice uh, pages and panels in this one. Not not every one of them, but overall, I really like the art job in this. It's this is an issue I would say come for the art as opposed for the story because I I really didn't like this. I liked everything until. We got to the explanation of exactly what the th you know everything was going along great, you know with the stranger, you know saying there's this you know this threat and it threatens all life and you know he's got to recruit heroes and everything was going great until you realize what the threat actually is, and then that's where I had my that's where I just got pulled right out of the story. I'm like, really, this is going to end everything that exists. And you brought these two, <laughs> and and then they're not even crucial to the story. 
and uh, yeah, so it, it just it story wise, it completely fell apart for me. But uh, see, you know, it didn't completely I enjoyed fall apart pictures. for me. And just to put up a minor defense for it, because I don't disagree with any of the points you've made, but I feel like you know it, it's, I, I feel like it's effective. I kind of like the stranger as a character. I thought using Pluto was kind of a, a good move because he's not so significant in the Marvel Universe, but he is powerful enough that he poses a threat. The fact that he, he landed on the Hulk and the thing makes no sense whatsoever, and you <laughs> kind of have to just bypass that in your mind. There's a lot of little touches here that we've talked about that uh, that don't really make total sense, but I, I thought it was a fun read, quite frankly. I thought it, it, it was worthy of being in a uh, in an annual story. Uh, just just as, as an aside on the artwork, uh, that is one head of hair on Betty Ross. When they're in the Jeep <laughs> and that thing is uh, flowing in the air, that is a big head of hair. <laughs> I didn't, until she spoke, um, or actually I think, it, yeah, it was when she spoke and calls him dad. I didn't realize that's who it was supposed to be. Because I don't remember her as a redhead. No, I, th- I thought it was blonde, but I guess it could be redhead. Or yeah, maybe it's like strawberry blonde, I guess. I don't yeah, know. that's what I'm looking at. But I, yeah, there was a stretch there where they did do that with her. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I thought it was fine. Now, as far as the thing Hulk battle in this one, it is minimal. Um, yeah. We, I'm just trying to page to it. Uh we have them facing off against each other, sort of, uh, on, here we go, it's, it starts on page 23, the, uh, the thing goes to stop the Hulk, so he grabs him on the shoulder, uh, they face off against each other, they kind of get into a wrestling clinch, the thing punches the Hulk, a rock comes in between them, the Hulk rips the rock apart, and that's the end of the battle. Oh no, no, no! Excuse me. Then we go forward. Uh, uh, let me to page, let me interrupt page you right 26. there. Though. Go ahead. I, I should have made a note of this earlier, but now that I'm seeing it again, I, I want to ask your opinion on this. Now, Lord knows I don't have a very good memory, but on page 20 was a six, where the Hulk's ripping the rock apart. Mm-hmm. So just before that. Um, the thing belts the Hulk, and the Hulk says, uh, Thing's punch cannot hurt Hulk. Now it's Hulk's turn. And then in the next panel, the thing says, Ain't you embarrassed to go around with that uh, antisocial attitude all the time? And then in the next panel, when the Hulk rips the rock apart, the thing says, Whew, anemic he ain't. Hasn't he used both of those lines before in a prior fight? I'd, I'd swear like one of the early like Stan Lee Thing Hulk tussles. He says I, those exact two lines. I think you may be right about that. And the the antisocial one definitely stands out in my mind. I can't tell you exactly when, but I'm thinking it was from uh, one of the books that we covered in the first retrospective episode. You know, one I'm of those real gonna, early ones, issue twelve yeah. or issues twenty five and twenty six of the Fantastic that, Four. That's what I was thinking too. Yeah, one I of the very right. early. Now, is, is that? Is that a nod of some kind? You if, know, is yeah, it, if, if it is, if we're right and those exact lines were used, I, I think it's kind of an homage to Stan Lee by using the same thing. That's the way I'm going to take it. Otherwise, it's, you know, 
Alan Kupperberg had such trouble writing that he couldn't think of any dialogue and had to steal Stanley's dialogue from 15 years earlier. <laughs> so, the, just taking the battle from that point, uh, we move forward to page 26, and they, uh, it looks like they're just kind of like throwing punches, but nobody's hitting anything. And that's it for the battle. So I'm, I'm again ready to call this a draw because I don't see anybody who gets any kind of clear-cut advantage here. It's not really much of a battle between them at all. No. No, it's really not. Yeah, the only... I'm fl flipping back and forth real quick here, but it looks like the only hit, the only connect is the thing, Right. Am I right in that? Yeah, that's what it looks like. So, if, I mean, I guess in yeah. theory we could give him the nod just because he's the only one who lands a clean punch. <laughs> but it doesn't look but like yeah, he did it's... any real damage with it, so I have a tough time awarding a, a victory on that. Right. So I'm, I'm ready to go draw. Yeah, I'm going to say draw as well because it looks like they're just really getting into it when it's over. All right, so from that, I guess we can rate this book. And uh, now I know you're going to have some comments on the cover, and I think you're going to somehow contradict me on it, but I like this cover. Uh, I think it's pretty eye-catching. Excuse me, the yellow in the background makes it pop as far as I'm concerned, even though I usually would want them to do more than just have uh, energy lines in the yellow. Uh, I think Joe Sinnott did a nice job of inking it, so I think it looks, you know, on on model, um, and it's it's enough to make me. It's, I, I think the cover makes me anticipate a story more superior to what we got actually. Uh, so I, I think it's a pretty good cover. I'm going to say a B plus on it. I, I like it. The interior art, I think, is far superior to what we got in the last issue, but it's still not. You know, outstanding. Uh, I think it's above average, though, now. So I'm going to say a C-plus on the interior art, which, you know, before I felt it was well below average. Now I think it's above average, you know, with a C being average. Uh, Story-wise, yeah, there's some holes you can drive a pogo plane through uh, and and some silly, <laughs> silly, silly things that they're just, you know, silly conceits that they're just going with. Uh, so... Uh, Story-wise, I, I, it could be better, but I enjoyed reading it. I, 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 you know, definitely got a kick out of it, and I felt, you know, I didn't feel like I was wasting my time. So I'm going to say a C plus on the story as well, and I'm going to give the book uh, a C plus. Okay. Um, no, I did not have a harsh criticism of the cover. It's just. There's one thing that always – I've had this issue for years, and I, I don't know that I've ever actually read it before. I think it's just one of those books that's been in my collection for a long, long time. But I, I was instantly familiar with uh, with the cover You know, when the number came up. you know, The cover came right to my mind because I've always thought this is a very dynamic cover, but there's always been one thing that really drove me crazy about it, and it's the Hulk's – or excuse me, the thing, rather, the thing's head. He's got this like eh? – expression on his face like a dog you know like when you when you talk to a dog and they don't understand exactly what you're saying they're just kind of tilting their head and their eyes are big and looking at it. that's the exact expression and he looks to me like uh 
like like a doll, like like he's a piece of like thing plush or something. You know? See the, <laughs> the way I the way I interpret face. that is that he was trying to fight against whatever energy was holding him in suspended animation, and that's what made him look awkward. I can see that. Yeah, I can. Yeah, I can easily see that. That does make sense. Like he's he has that expression because he's gritting his teeth and fighting the effect or something. Yeah, that does make sense. But no, I, I do like the cover. I think it's really nice. I, I think uh, you know the Cine inks really, uh, really dress it up. I love how the Hulk looks because again, he has that that fine definition to his muscles, so he doesn't just look like you know a big beefy fat ass. He, he looks menacing and, and muscular. I do like that. But yeah, I, and the color, the yellow in the background really works for me as well. So yeah, I like this cover. Um, grade wise, would you say on this a B? Did I say a B or a B plus? I'm not even sure anymore. Yeah, I'd go a B plus. I, yeah, I, I do. I, I think it's really good. I, I'm not again. I'm still not crazy about the thing face, but that explanation makes a little more sense to me. Uh, interior art. I think I'm much higher on it than you are because I really like uh, Pablo Marcos's uh, his art style here. Um, it's just I don't know. There's something about it. It's cozy. It's comfortable and. Uh, you know, it, it, it's familiar in that, like, oh, yeah, this is good comics kind of way. So, yeah, I really like it. Um, I think that it's really shoring up the pencils on this because there are still some wonky bits with uh, with the art, you know, in certain places and all. So I, I chalk that up more toward uh, the pencils. But as far as the inking job goes, I, I think it's a really extraordinary inking job. I really like it. Um, some of the colors are a little bit funny, but I'm not sure if that's the actual colors of the book or if it's the way it's scanned. I'm, I'm not really sure on that. Um, but overall, I really like the uh, the interior art on this book quite a bit. So um, I think I'm gonna go a I'm gonna go a B on the interior art because I really do like it. Uh, and then story, ah oh, man, you know. I'm going to give it a grudging C plus because I liked how it was going uh, up until, you know, just some of the, you know, some of the sillier things that I already harped about happened in it. I just, you know, to me, it, it just seems like it behooves you if you're one of these mega powerful characters and you stumble across this threat to all life to put together a team not just you know grab a couple of guys and hope for the best, which is almost what it seems like the stranger does in this instance. You know, alert the Avengers, alert the Defenders, alert the you know the, the FFs out of commission. But you know, you get the idea. You know, mm-hmm. bring in some big guns. You know, where's where's Captain Marvel? Where's Thor? You know, so yeah, I mean, because at the end of the day, the way Pluto was defeated, you know. Anybody that's got a solid punch could have taken him out, you know, Colossus. So I, I just that's my biggest beef with this is that not only didn't he bring more guns with him, he, you know, it, was it really everything that he made it out to be where it's got to be these two? They're, they're ideal for this mission. Well, really, were they? And was he not familiar with the fact that these two really don't like each other? To begin with, because then, you know, there's so much time spent during the mission that they're on where they're 
actually fighting one another. So again, it, you know, it makes the the strangers seem like kind of a dope in a way. And and I do like his character too. And I think he's kind of an interesting character, but he just he doesn't seem terribly bright in this. Plus, I I did notice, you know, going back to the R, I did notice that his size consistent throughout the issue. He he seems to shrink and grow depending on the the panels. Mm. Um, overall grade on this, would you say a B, B plus, something like that? I think I said C plus actually. C plus. I I'd say I'll go on B minus. I'll I'll actually go a little bit higher because again I really did like the art in this. It's really it's the story that let me down. But uh, but yeah, I, I it was still fun. I still enjoyed it. Um. Just not as much as uh, as the as the one before it. The one before it's more wacky fun. This one's like, you know, fun but dumb story kind of fun. So, yeah. <laughs> right. So that's it for this Thing Hulk uh, episode. Uh, as we were saying earlier. Oh, I before th- I forget. Oh, go ahead. Before I forget, I did look it up. So Fantastic Four number twenty-five, page twelve. Um, there's a moment where. The thing belts the Hulk through a wall. The Hulk comes out pissed and goes, and now it's my turn. And the thing says to him, ain't you embarrassed to go around with this antisocial attitude all the time? Then the very next panel, the thing, the thing's basically playing keep away. And he ducks behind a bus. And the Hulk just picks up the bus and rips it in two to get to him. And when he does, the thing has a thought balloon that says, woo, anemic he ain't. So okay, that so was definitely. Yeah. All right, cool. And that does it for this, uh, <laughs> this thing, Hulk retrospective, retrospective issue. As we mentioned earlier, I anticipate that we are probably going to skip over Incredible Hulk 278, but we'll read it through and see if we decide to cover it or not. Uh, and then the next two after that are Marvel Fanfare Volume 1, number 20, and number 21. So I anticipate that those that will be the next retrospective episode will be those two books, probably. All right. Yeah, the list I'm looking at shows 278 and then just Marvel Fanfare Volume 121, but not 20. So I'll have to, you know, we'll take a look at those and, and see what's uh, what's happening in that. Yeah, we'll make and a decision. 278 we'll looks to me. Cool. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at bins at twotruefreaks.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Nah, that sucks.